You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network. So welcome back to the podcast. We have launched an exciting new fellowship program. So the Medics Academy Fellowship Program is an 18-month skills and training fellowship designed to enhance your digital skills, pre-hospital knowledge, and much, much more. So as part of the fellowship, you'll be acquiring digital skills to both create and harness knowledge domains and speakers through the podcast platform and co-aligned spaces. You'll be able to access the Medics Academy workshops, courses, resources, discounts, and master's level accreditation. Please see the show notes for more information. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we're going to look at expedition medicine with Major Natalie Taylor and paramedic Jamie Patterson. So expedition medicine has been a passion of mine for a number of years, almost 15 years. Um, And what I wanted to do on this episode is really unearth some of the pearls and pitfalls and challenges of expedition medicine and also how to get into it from two fantastic guests that have certainly been there and done it. So in this episode, we examine a number of facets of expedition medicine, both the diversity of experience that our guests have. Uh, We look at some of the main themes on expedition medicine. We look at some of the team dynamics and human factors that you'll experience on on expedition. Uh, We look at trauma on expedition. We also look at some of the education and experience that you can get uh, to get into the field. Uh, we also look at some of the rate limiting steps and some of the sort of pitfalls that you need to be minded of as a clinician. We look at the CASIVAC, so the casualty evacuation and some of the nuances of casualty evacuation. Uh, and then we also look at some of the highlights. So we look at Nat's uh, and Jamie's highlights on expedition because this becomes all worth it when you really dig into the highlights and examine some of the beauty and amazing places you can travel in the world. Okay, so without further ado, here's the episode. Just one last thing to say, a big thanks to World Extreme Medicine. They have been a real advocate of expedition medicine over the past 25 years and very much how myself, Jamie and Natalie met in the first place as we've all been fortunate enough to be WEM faculty, World Extreme Medicine faculty. So please do enjoy the session. We'll put lots of uh, show notes and also links to how you can find out more about expedition medicine in the show notes. Nat, could we just maybe start with you? Could you just unpack who you are, a little bit of your experience? Yeah, okay, so uh, I'm Nat Taylor. Some people might know me as Major Natalie Taylor. I'm in the British Army. Um, My day job, I'm a GP by trade. Um, And uh, my passion there is about uh, getting people outdoors and I am happiest when I'm outside, which has been really fortunate in that I've learned uh, or I've developed a really good relationship with WEM. I'm on their faculty uh, and uh, way back when in 2016, um, I met Jamie doing an amazing adventure. We uh, uh, took part in Iceman which was um, a crossing around Greenland uh, the first ski touring uh, race ever to be held apparently Um, and that's just like a little taste of the things I've done I just love being outdoors. Fantastic fantastic and Jamie? Yeah so I'm Jamie Um, very similar to that I love being outdoors Uh, I cannot sit still Um, I love being in the mountains and, and I certainly have a passion for being cold Apparently, when I was a child, my mom left me outside in the pram a lot. So I think that predisposed me to, to want to go cold places and do cold things. Uh, yeah, I love climbing, ice climbing, rock climbing, uh, skiing, uh, which obviously a combination of those things have brought me to meet, meet Nat in 2016 and, and uh, be on that team. Um, 
Uh, and yeah, I'm a paramedic by trade. Um, I did things a little bit backwards, really. I started doing expeditions as a climber and things. And then uh, I joined the mountain rescue team uh, just about 10 years ago now and um, got into things like that. So it kind of became a mountain rescue medic and then joined the ambulance service from there. So I certainly started uh, with the mountain kind of medicine uh, as the forefront of my career. And very much that's where I'm driving things uh, as, I, as I continue to progress. I guess my first question really is around people listening to this that might want to get into expedition medicine. Uh, Natalie, I'll start with you. Just from your experience, could you maybe speak to the diversity of experience you had as a GP before you started in expeditions? Yeah, certainly. So um, for me, um, being a general practitioner means that you're a, a master of none, but you've got like a good depth of experience or breadth, should I say, of experience. Um, and then also being in the military, it meant that I've deployed on operational deployment. So that gave me that pre-hospital part of um, expedition medicine that perhaps everyone's more worried about. However, the things that stop people when they're on expeditions more commonly is that primary healthcare. Um, and so I think being a general practitioner means that you can you can learn the algorithms that are the trauma, but that uh, you know identifying which rash is which it's a bit harder to do. So I think um, that's kind of where my backgrounds come from as a general practitioner in the military. We obviously, do our pre-hospital care anyway. I've deployed to lots of remote environments with work, um, so that then meant that it was a nice stepping stone for me to move forward into expedition medicine with the love of the outdoors, combining the two. Fantastic. And Jamie, when you sp you said you did things the, the, the other way around, so could you maybe speak to that and what experience you brought to expeditions um, when you when you first started uh, going on them yourself? Yeah, so well, I suppose there's if there's a hard way to do something or a backwards way to do something, I'll probably pick that route. Um, it seems to be the way it goes. Uh, but yeah, so I kind of uh, got into uh, expeditions probably through like a college. I had a really good lecturer who was quite inspirational. Um, definitely pushed me that way um, and then I signed up I basically really wanted to go to Norway when I was about 20 um, so I just kind of signed up for this Norwegian glacier survey with the kind of mountain rescue background and the mountain and the um, climate background as a field assistant to to the scientists doing the research which is really cool because you kind of get an insight into what they're doing and stuff um, and the climate change and, and how they're going to kind of measure things and what they expect them to do along with all the lasers and stuff that it took and things like that. But it was very much kind of um, applying my skills to keeping those guides safe. And as Nat says, a lot of the things that I had to deal with, um, even just as a, a kind of kind of a low-level medic, I would say now, um, and a young kid really, um, was very much all that primary care stuff, as I, as I know it's now. Um, and there was very much a, a case of mitigating the big stuff. Um, and then... I think kind of sharing that kind of uh, the planning, the mental model of, of what we would do when stuff happened and bringing people on board was very important. I've, I've always felt even now as a paramedic, um, even my practice at work, as it were, I very much bring the patients on board and, and you know, try and empower people to be like, look, yes, I've got paramedic written on my shoulder and this lovely blue star, but that means that, you know, I'm here to help all you guys, but to educate you guys as well. And, and doing that in the outdoors has, has been as, again, as Nat says, that's absolutely my passion. Um, so yeah, combining the two is is even better. Could you speak to, so you both mentioned actually a little bit about what happens on expeditions around primary health care and, and, and mitigating some of the big stuff, maybe trauma care. Jamie, could you maybe first and then Nat second speak to some of the main 
themes that you experience on expedition? Um, I think the main theme of my experience is that people don't want to come forward with problems. They don't want to, they've cut, they've paid a lot of money to be on this trip. They have, uh, you know, it's this big thing that's been in the calendar for a while. Um, they don't want to be the one who's feeling unwell or has a little niggle or whatever. And they don't want to bring that forward. And certainly I've been in that position where I've had a little kind of niggle going on and, or a blister that's bothering me or whatever. Um, and I don't want to be the one like, I'll just put up with this. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. But as we all know, that's not sustainable. Um, so that's definitely a, a big theme is that people will hide stuff from you. And I think it's about when you get together, maybe in country before you go on expedition, which is often a common thing that happens. Certainly, you know, with trips that I've been on, you get together and get to meet each other and, and you know, do a bit of training, some skills and stuff. Um, it's just getting to know people and, what are they like when they're not happy? What are they like when they're a little bit tired, when they need something to eat, you know, and just paying that attention to detail with people in your team. Um, that's certainly the, 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 the main thing. And again, the big stuff, you know, get the guys together. And I've always been like very much like, look, we are going to be on a glacier. We're going to be wearing crampons and ice axes. And so it's going to be a week of how not to play with sharp objects. And if this sharp objects enters you here, this is the problem that's going to be in and, and trauma care is very much, you know, if this happens, this is what we need to do. We need to identify these things. And actually there's not a lot we're going to be able to do. So what's the plan for when this does happen? And that pre-planning phase is really, really important in my mind. Um, it's not about dealing stuff when it happens. It's like, okay, when, and if this happens, what are we going to do? What are the steps that this person's going to take? And then anybody can be like, have a checklist and say, okay, I need to do X, I need to do Y, and you need to do Z. And then we'll come back and from there. That's fantastic. And and to you, Nat. Yeah, I think Jamie's raised all the really good points. Like common things are common. So people don't want to be sick. It's annoying. Um, uh, and Jamie's highlighted beautifully that you just have to sit down with everybody. And um, one of the things that um, I do um, through my work, but then also through expeditions, is talking to the team about how it's actually the most courageous thing to do is to put, highlight that you're not well. That's not a sign of weakness, that's a sign of courage because also you're, by you being unwell and not telling anybody and nobody treating you means that you can put the rest of the team at risk. You know, if you're crossing a glacier and something goes badly wrong, you know, that's not the time to find out. When you're in the depth of a jungle, that's not the time to find out when you're above 5,000 um, metres or whatever. You don't want to know then. Um, so it's really empowering the, pay, uh, the people that it's okay to get sick um, and also teaching them self-care. Um, we do a lot of that as well just you know this is how you manage uh, a cut in the jungle because it's going to get infected if you don't look after it this is how you manage a blister you get a hot spot let's treat that you know and then like Jamie said with the trauma stuff um, it is about sharing that with the team you know we as the medical practitioners have the knowledge in our heads and we need to let them know where is the equipment what is the procedure if something does happen because we're not going to be the comms guy we're not doing the communication we're going to be doing the medical treatment and there's no point in us knowing the comms plan is there unless everybody else knows it um so yeah i think the common things on expedition are primary care but the things we worry about and we definitely plan for as a trauma so you've spoken briefly about it um and maybe if you could if i could just to speak to a little bit more around team dynamic on expedition how much human factor goes into the whole experience because I've, you know, having known you both and having known your both of your narrative self narratives around the Iceman challenge and how much team dynamics and just how arduous it was, how, you know, how difficult that challenge was, which team dynamics and human factors played into that. How in your experience does it count? Uh, so 
I mean, the Iceman Challenge is a, is a is an interesting one for me because uh, I we we kind of turned up in Greenland or Iceland, uh, uh, met the guys, and kind of um, I'd kind of had a bit of a plan and with a few friends to come and you know put a team together and go and do this challenge, and then I ended, ended up being the only one who could really do it, um, just through circumstance and stuff. So I just decided I was going to go and do this, and I would get put in a team when I was there, and then I got put in a team with uh, Major Lee, Major Natalie Taylor and Scott Webster, who's like some badass uh, mountain guide um you know both absolutely lovely humans and i was like um okay <laughs> like what am i doing here kind of thing um so it was really interesting for me looking back on it certainly was like um i'm not i'm not used to being what i perceived as the weakest member of a team and having to deal with that uh kind of on a personal level was an interesting like mental challenge because it, that was the way I saw it, but the guys very much didn't see it like that, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, that was fascinating. And even for me to be like, oh, guys, like, this blister is really bothering me. And I kind of hurt my ankle a bit. So, um, you know, this is really bothering. And just having the almost the humility to stop being a paramedic, stop being a, you know, a big brother, roughly tufty mountain rescue, all this, and just be Jamie, who is uh, got a sore foot at the minute. Uh, taught me a lot and taught me like you know this is this is how people feel when they're talking to you pops and etc and it was really um it was a really tough way to learn those lessons but I'm really glad I did learn those lessons when I did because it served me well um you know in future you know not just expeditions in all areas of life so yeah and I think we because uh we never met each other uh, like Jamie uh, I was also Billy No Mates and had planned to enter a team, but nobody had turned up and thought, oh, I'll just give it a go. Uh, and and it's interesting uh, hearing Jamie, you know, he turned up and there were these two people. I turned up and I was just like, so I'm quite short. You obviously can't see on a podcast. And Jamie's uh, like a bit taller and a bit more of a strapping lad. And I'm this like little small <laughs> person. So this like massive guy turns up and then Scott Webster, this amazing mountain guide. Uh, and I was like, oh, God this is going to be hard. And so, and I'm a bit of a weight uh, ninja. I don't really like carrying unnecessary weight. So um, earlier on, uh, we were talking about unnecessary weight in your pack and the things you learn when you do ultra runs. Um, so I'd like slimmed everything down. I thought, gosh, I've gone too light here. And I was really concerned that I wouldn't have enough warm kit and I was going to get cold. And like, at least I looked at the guys as like, well, worst case, their clothes will fit me. Uh, the other way around, <laughs> they're not going to fit in my clothes. Um, but human factors is a huge part of it and it's just interesting to see you know we were both on exactly the same experience and our initial concerns were very different or very similar as well but what was really nice about the, the Iceman challenge from my perspective was as a team we got in the 10 everyone just got on with stuff and we just worked together having never met each other before we gelled quite quickly as a team and I think that comes from the fact that uh, both Jamie and I are clinicians and then Scott's like this mountain guide person. And we've all got a love for the outdoors. So we've all worked in those environments where we know, like, you know, in Iceland, in the freezing cold, you've all got to work together otherwise nothing's going to happen. And uh, I'm sure you've all got experiences where when we are working as a team, the biggest problem on expeditions when people don't enjoy themselves on expedition is normally a human factor. We haven't identified as, as the like either poor leadership management or um, like that toxic person. We haven't been able to manage them. And I think that's that's often the thing that is overlooked when you're a medic, you're going on the expedition, but you've also got to have a bit of understanding of psychology and managing people. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, speaking to that personal experience, you know, you're on this, you're on this expedition whereby it's so different to normal clinical practice because you're with, you're living with these people. And it's not even like, you know, you just for an hour or two hours, it's days, weeks, and sometimes months. So it's, and if they're a patient, even they, they're your, they're a patient for way longer than just an, an hour or two. So it just, it is such a different dynamic, such a different dynamic. Jamie, you spoke to Roma and, you know, the, the fact it will test all the mechanisms, all the Kasevac policies, it will really try and test every, every link in the chain. Um, could you maybe speak to how difficult it is to manage trauma on, on expedition and some of the rate limiting sp- steps that you've experienced? I think as a, as a medic, it's incredibly uh, difficult. So, something happens and it, 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 it's, never, it's never a slow thing. It's never a... Um, it's never when you expect it. And that sounds weird to say because you know sometimes you we know that that place to go is dangerous. We not when we're in that that ice fall, we expect that something might happen. Um, so you kind of I don't know how it works, but it, it seems to me that it always happens when you like we're not we're not doing anything dangerous at the minute or particularly dangerous or we perceive as dangerous, and then something happens and it's like bang. And I think as a certainly for me, um, I find it quite useful as it coming in it from from a mountain rescue perspective and having that kind of experience before I became a fully fledged paramedic um, because I know what I'm very much aware of everything else that's going on around me and I'm very much trying not to get sucked in. I think it'd be very, very easy. And I've certainly had moments where I've got sucked into, right. I need to make sure that this person's airway is clear. There's no, you know, problems with their chest, blah, 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 etc. And then the, instead of sticking with the medicine and you can, you can do all of your, all of my paramedic amazing bits and then you get to the end of it and it's like but now what we're still sat on a glacier this person who's still injured and still needs to see someone a lot cleverer than me um so it's about that kind of enacting that whole plan around that um and that's where i think you know training the team to be able to do a little trauma survey and identify injuries or you know everybody getting together and they know what the radio procedures are they know what the plan is when this happens they know what the plan is when that happens um, I mean, it, one expedition I went on with one of the plans, you know, it was very, very early days. One of the plans was if anything happens, we're going to get a helicopter. And it was like, cool. Right. Okay. But then the reality of something, when something did happen, it's like, well, if we put a helicopter above this camp, it's not going to go very well. And it's very, very dangerous. So actually how can we manage this better? Um, and having that conversation and luckily that wasn't kind of, at the t- it wasn't very time critical. It wasn't a big injury and stuff. It was kind of a mind injury um, with a kind of infection going on ahead of it. So it was like, right, this is a, a medevac time. We're making that decision. Um, how are we going to do this? And actually we ended up just kind of walking the guy as far as we could and then get getting him on the boat and evac from there. So again, it comes back to the, the very basics. Like you can, you could, you can take all the trash, the the you know needle needle darts and uh, Russell chest seals and all sorts of Gucci kit, and you can put a Kendrick traction device on, perfect. But then, what are we then doing, and how do we enact that? Does everyone know how to carry a stretcher? Does everyone know, um, you know, where the drugs are? Because if you go down and you get injured, that's not the time you need to be educating other people either. Like, you don't need you don't need to be ten out of ten paying with a femur fracture and passing out and trying to educate people on what you need and etc so yeah i think it's very much bringing everybody on board and getting them to buy into this idea that all right this might never happen and hopefully doesn't but when it does 
and need you all to kind of, you know, to, to man your stations kind of thing. And you, and you put a really nice point there, um, Jamie, about like when you're in a resource poor environment, it doesn't matter that you've done all this CABC uh, and you've got the patient alive still. Ultimately, you just want them out of there, don't you? And the first yeah. thing you need to educate people is, is let's call for help. And I encourage anyone that's listening who's never done it to do a Kazavak and, you know, carry a stretcher for 100 metres and see how tiring it is and mm -hmm. understand why we think fitness is really important if you're going to be an expedition medic. Now, could you speak to some of the maybe, yeah, experiences you have with trauma, albeit military or on expedition? Have they, because they test, you're right, they test everyone and, and the, the best laid plans on paper don't necessarily come to fruition in practice. Just from your perspective, how, how has it played out for you? Yeah, so most of my trauma has been uh, like on military operations, um, like the trauma I've done on expeditions has been quite small. But on military operations, as you'd expect, it often goes to plan because it's a well drilled, particularly when we were in Afghanistan in the fighting phase, that was a well uh, oiled machine. So to speak. But equally, at times, you know, there would be somebody had been injured on the ground a bit further forward than I. And the decision is, you know, does it come, does the casualty come back to the doctor? Or do we just call a helicopter in there and then and get them up and out? And um, it all depends on, you know, what assets are available when and how long is somebody going to be waiting for. Um, but Jamie's right, you know, you make a plan and you need to test that plan. And that's the thing I found with all of my trauma stuff when we've been in uh, expeditions or uh, on operations is that you get the team and it's boring nobody likes to do it and you're going to be hated for it but you get everyone somebody becomes a casualty and we just do it and you see where the flaws are you know that we can't call the helicopter there's been expeditions before where we've paid for this helicopter helix uh, company but actually then when you call in the helix there's no helicopter in that country and particularly in African nations and it's got to come from two countries away and if it's a no-fly um you just don't want to be in that situation you know absolutely absolutely so um I'm gonna ask you both because people listening to this and sort of clinicians wondering how to get into it so Jamie from your perspective as a paramedic are there any sort of courses or adjunctive experience from your perspective so people should that paramedics could look at to get into expedition medicine so uh paramedics are all pretty good at pre-hospital care it's what we do uh and i apologize to the doctors but and a lot of you guys are really experienced but this is our bag um so uh don't be shy about it like sell yourself paramedics are really really useful people um we tend to be of a certain ilk we don't like sitting in offices we don't like paperwork, etc. cetera. Um, uh, so make sure that the, your primary care is really, really good. Those GP, those GP skills are really, really good. You're going to, as Owen said before, you're going to be with that patient for a long time. You're going to know them personally. Make sure that you can deal with that um, and you can treat someone who you don't like for a long time. You might not get on with this person, but they are still under your care. Right? That's a genuine thing. Um, and uh, I think... Again, that those nursing skills as well. If you've got someone on a stretcher, you might not be on that stretcher for, you know, it might not be a helicopter coming until tomorrow, as Nat says. It might be two days' time. That person needs to eat. They need to go to the toilet. They need to uh, drink water, etc. How are you going to manage those things as well? Um, I think those nursing skills are really important. So go and cherry pick. Go and find someone who does that. What I do in my personal practice and uh, anything really is go and find someone who's doing what you're what you're what you want to do or what you want to learn and um get them to teach you all of the best bits about it and 
even though they're kind of they'll 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 bring a certain lesson or they'll they'll try and teach you a certain skill or whatever, there might be something that they do or they say that in their practice they don't think is a big deal, but actually is a really light bulb moment for you. There's definitely um, a few of those happened for me, and I think um, you know don't just be you, again paramedics and GPs. We have to be jack of all trades, and I think the expedition stuff you can be that. That's absolutely fine. Um, but if you're going to go on a certain trip, make sure you're really, really good in that environment. Because if you're not good in that environment and you can't look after yourself on a uh, on a Norwegian glacier or, a, or in a, an African desert or um, in Svalbard or wherever you're going to go, if you can't look after yourself in that environment, how on earth are you going to look after someone else? Um, so have those experiences, you know, go and you know, get a bit cold, you know, safely, you can manage these risks, but go and experience what it's like to be absolutely dripping wet and then do a Kazovac. Go and experience what it's like to be in the worst of these situations. And Mountain Rescue kind of gave me that, gave me that opportunity and gave me that chance to go and experience those things. Um, but yeah, how, how, how are you in that environment as well? Look at your human factors. When, I, when I'm tired and I'm hungry, I, I'm, not a ver- I'm not the best version of myself. And I'm totally honest with that. And, I'll, and I need to deal with those things. Um, and I have, to have a mindfulness about that. So, yeah, uh, those, those are the kind of things. But, yeah, getting, getting good in that environment, especially for paramedics, because you might be really, really good at your trauma care, your, your primary care, blah, blah, blah. You might have all the medical skills. But if you cannot survive, if you get cold hands and you can't manage that and you don't have a plan for that and you don't have a strategy to manage that, then you're not going to be any good as a paramedic. So, yeah, those those environmental skills and those uh, those skills in the environment are really really important. So, Nat, from your perspective, if there's any junior doctors or, or trainee GPs listening to listening to this, um, what could you advocate to, to sort of mentally and physically prepare for these environments? I think Jamie's right. You know, the medicine is not difficult, and um, I completely echo about paramedics. Like, if I'm out in a pre-hospital environment particularly if I'm deployed, I want a paramedic next to me because I want them to treat me the way better than I am. Like that's what they do as their day job. You know, I don't think doctors should be shy about that. Um, that's true. Uh, but for doctors, nurses, whoever, uh, paramedics, I would recommend that, as Jamie says, you get comfortable in your own skin, in the environment you want to operate in. Um, the medicine is easy. If you do not know how to navigate then get out on hills. If you are not sure what happens when you get really cold, go somewhere really cold. Um, and, and like Jamie says, I am not the best version of myself when I am tired and hungry and all of my colleagues can point that out. I am definitely a hangry person. So I always have some food in my pocket because I know that if I eat, I'm a bit nicer and I always carry a spare pair of gloves because I know that my fingers aren't as good as everyone else's. Um, but then when it comes to like courses for um, like clinical stuff, you know what, I know uh, I work for WEM and I probably shouldn't say it, but I think the WEM courses are like practical, hit the nail on the head and they give you that wake up call, especially like the beginners ones that are in the UK. They give you that wake up call of, OK, so yes, whatever speciality you are, it highlights perhaps the areas that you need to develop to make sure that you're then a safe practitioner in the pre-hospital environment. And of course, make sure you've got the right indemnity. That's fantastic. And so what we'll do, we'll, we'll link to the show notes, actually the, the World Extreme Medicine Foundation course that they run in the UK and in Europe. And uh, just if anyone is interested in that um, for everyone. Okay, so just looking at a different aspect, actually, and the question for me around, 
what maybe what issues paramedics should be minded of whilst working abroad sort of around scope of practice governance and decision making I think again it comes back again to that basic thing of being honest with yourself like you're not going to if you're not confident in a skill don't think that you're going to go out on exhibition or go out to another country and start doing that skill uh, that's not what this is about um you need to be working on your weak weak areas if you if you don't like doing something or you're uncomfortable doing something you know uh that primary care stuff especially it, it, i think some for some people might be a bit of a weak area you know identifying rashes isn't fun so have you got some top cover is there somebody who you can ring on a satellite phone is there somebody on the trip as well who who you can defer to um and discuss things with i think that's really important so having that kind of professional humility and knowing your own limitations you know you're an autonomous autonomous clinician you can take your scope of practice to you know whichever kind of area you want to i think I think it's quite exciting that way. But definitely go and, you know, again, work in those areas of weakness, go and speak to allied health pre- health professionals and, and get gain those skills that you feel you need. Um, and again, look at the trip, look at the the, the, di- the the dynamics and the demographics of the group you're going with. Um, are you taking an all-female an all female trip to somewhere and you're going to have to work on those, you know, those uh, female specific things, um, which you might not be super comfortable with, especially if you know, you're a bloke, et cetera. Um, so yeah, having that kind of professional humility. Um, and I think, uh, you know, the right indemnity for what you need, make sure that, you know, all right, the College of Paramedics are pretty good. They'll pretty much insure anyone for anything, but have that conversation and be like, this is what I'm going to do specifically, you know, um, and are you going to insure me for this X, Y, and Z? And just make sure, dot dot all of the I's, cross all of the T's. There's no excuse for not doing that. Um, and again, I think the, the top cover thing, but no, it's not about having the, you know, the ED consultant at your local hospital at the end of the phone. That would be fantastic. But have you got a, you know, obstetrics and gynecologist? Have you got a midwife, perhaps? Have you got a GP? Have you got a, a couple of nurses? Um, you know, having those that kind of input from all of your contacts is really, really useful. Even if, you know, you haven't got comms directly with them, can you get them to give you some notes, a crib sheet, a checklist, et cetera, for the things you should be looking for? Um, I think that would be really useful. And again, just with the people in the team as well, don't don't come in and be like, uh, I'm the medic, X, Y, and Z, you know, what 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 <laughs> what's not known about, about medicine is, you know, is, is my kind of next chapter in my book. Like, that's just rubbish. Like, go in there and be like, look, guys, what's going to happen is we'll probably have to do a little bit of first aid. You, as Nat says, you need to tell me when you don't feel well. Because if you don't feel well, it's not going to get better unless we deal with something. Um, and I don't want you feeling rubbish. And equally, I might feel unwell and I might go down injured. So let's deal with what the you know top 10 things we might come across. Let's talk about those things and let's you know get everyone to buy into that and be part of that. Um and I think they probably builds a lot of trust as well that you know what you're talking about and that you're not afraid to be like, actually, I'm not sure about that. That's a great question. Let's go and, let's go and find out about that. Further to that is like, don't be afraid to make a decision um, and, and practice safely. I, like if, if I go home at the end of a shift and I'm thinking about something, it's probably because I'm not happy with what I've done. Um, you know, for various reasons, it might be a minor detail, it might be a big thing, it might be something that I need to talk to somebody about or reflect on professionally. Um, but that's all useful. If we were, if we didn't make mistakes, we didn't fail at things, we didn't ever learn anything and we all be perfect, which just isn't like how life works. So, but you know, don't be afraid to write, you you need to be medevaxed. This is the problem. I'm concerned that the worst case scenario is X. 
And without this information, I can't safely say you're not going to become unwell, etc. So I'm sorry, mate, but this is what we need to do now. And be honest about that. Like, you know, again, empower the empower the patients and stuff, but don't be afraid to make those difficult decisions and make a call and do it safely. Um, and if you can't sleep at night about a decision you've made, then we, you need to reflect on that and perhaps reevaluate re it. So Nat, just looking at something you said actually just earlier around uh, around Kazivak, so casualty evacuation, and could you maybe just speak to Kazivak? Because you know, me and you have been in the jungle environment together. We're, we're going to be in the desert environment together, I think, in a, in a couple in a couple of months, in a quite a few months, and yeah, and me and you both have been in environments where, by in theory things could work quite easily but actually in practice just hiking through this triple canopy at 30 odd degrees in 100 humidity with torrential rain as it's getting dark is a different scenario altogether could you maybe just speak to some of the nuances of, of Kazivak? yeah i think Kazivak is one of those things where you could potentially create more casualties by doing a Kazivak, and it's a brave shout and as jamie says don't be paralyzed by indecision. You need to make a decision. If something needs to happen, there's no point in delaying that decision by 10, 20 minutes, half an hour a day. If someone's got to go, they've got to go. The patient's not moving, are they, unless you make that call. Um, so yeah, uh, hostile remote environments, carrying somebody on a stretcher or uh, like a, um, a piggyback type stretcher, the most important thing is to nominate somebody as the team lead. And that should be nominated before it happens, really, shouldn't it, you know? When Owen and I have been out in the jungle together, we've had a doctor and paramedic as two sets of team leads. Um, so if one person went down from one team or they were in a different location, we had two teams identified. Um, because you need to look after the people that are doing the Kazavac, make sure they get rotated through. Um, and and Kazavac's a fancy word for how are you physically going to get an injured casualty from point of injury to your uh, next stage up level of care, be that role to uh, hospital, DGH or a big trauma centre. Um, and as Jamie talks about, uh, you know, sometimes you can't you can't have it wherever you've decided. Triple canopy, you need to make uh, find a space where a helicopter can come down or you're going to have to go to the head of a road, the head of a river. Um, but it is, it's just an arduous, it's a really hard time where you're hot and sweaty and you as the lead clinician as much as you want to don't be a hero and don't be the person that's carrying that casualty because you need to have the mental state to assess the casualty what, what happens when they change when you move does that venflon come out does the drug they're receiving come out are they still having fluids or actually are you now just losing that one liter of fluid to the out the floor because the cannula's pulled out you know um so i think it's just all about keeping it simple stupid isn't it yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And Jamie, for your because you made a really interesting point earlier, Jamie, around you know healthy analogs even before you stepped into the expedition environment. And one of the one of the great analogs is is uh, the mountain rescue team because I remember Ben Cooper saying on another um, episode that you know actually the side of a the side of a mountain in Scotland is uh, when weather's bad is actually pretty much almost as bad as it gets in some of these uh, polar environments. Or it can be, but it, so from your perspective, some of these analogs that you've experienced from the mountain rescue, uh, how healthy has that been to extrapolating casualty evacuation on expedition? It's been it's been really really useful. I mean, it, it's almost like a, a trial runner. I think um, 
I mean, just going back to carrying stretchers in Kazovac, like we would have eight people probably on a stretcher um, carrying it. And that's an especially designed bell stretcher, specifically designed for mountain rescue. Um, all the bells and whistles is pretty rough and ready, but it does exactly what we want it to do. And we rotate those eight people through. So, you know, that's 16 people with two teams. And even, you know, probably like, the, I think when we were trying to organise getting this podcast and I went out and did a job and it was just this very simple ankle injury, um, you know, probably about maybe a two kilometre carry downhill and it probably took the best part of an hour. Um, It's not a quick process. And I think one of the main reasons I became a medic was because I didn't like carrying the stretcher and the medic got to stand off the side. (laughs) Um, So it's not a comfortable thing. Um, How easy can you make it? What specialist equipment have you got? What specialist equipment can you make? Um, but yeah, uh, Ben's certainly right. Somebody that some of the most uh, extreme and arduous experiences I've, ha- I've had have been in Scotland or in the UK somewhere. Um, my back garden is Northumberland, so I've certainly had a lot of experiences out out in Northumberland where um, it is cold and wet and you're tired and you don't want to be there, etc. Um, but they're the kind of the growth moments where um, it is hard it, and it's not comfortable. Um, it's all too easy to go out for a walk and navigate around, you know, a few trails in the forest and think, yeah, I'm really good at navigation. Can you go out on the worst day of the weather and, and deal with that? Um, and those are the questions that you need to ask before you go. As I said, like, if you answer those questions before you go and it happens out there, it's it's kind of that, that inoculation to that stress. Um, and it doesn't feel as bad when you're wet and tired. You know that, you know, in, in, in a few hours time, you'll be in a tent and you'll be able to get warm. But then training that fact that, you know, one day I had to, I was back in my tent. I was nice and warm. I just put a brew on. I just settled down for the afternoon and then over the radio, oh, we need you to come back out and and, and deal with this and sort this out. It's like, oh man, <laughs> can you get back into your kit? Can You know, put all your wet stuff back on, go back out into that rain and still deal with the, the people and, and not, be, not be in a bad mood with them just because you're not feeling great um, and be mindful of that. Um, I think, yeah, they're probably the, the the questions you have to answer. I don't think you need to be um, have any particular skills and stuff. It's just having a good look at yourself and being honest with yourself about where your limitations are uh, and as a person, basically. Yeah. And I think we've painted quite a grim picture there because I, I completely agree with all three, all, all two, both of you, or two of you, can't count. Um, I've never been as cold. Like the coldest place I've ever been has been Scotland. Like. I've been to the high north and down south and Scotland when it's horrible, it's like ninja horrible. But I think where, where Jamie's there saying, you know, you need to look in the mirror and decide, you know, is that for you? I think when we talk about expedition medicine, yes, we've done some more of the extreme stuff, but actually there are lots of really nice expeditions that are um, perhaps in a static location that's got easy access for Kazovac. And I think you, if you want to get into expedition medicine, but perhaps you don't want to be too uncomfortable, but you want to go to an exotic place, you can just choose those expeditions, but make sure that you're choosing an expedition that really you're comfortable in that environment before you even go. Absolutely. And I think some of those questions you need to ask is like, when am I at my best? When, what makes me really happy? What can, I, what can I do to bring the team on? Uh, I kind of have a bit of a rule where I try and have a bit of a, something in the bottom of my bag that I'll bring out at a moment, uh, a little surprise for everyone. That, you know, it's just those little things that, uh, what are my worst jokes and things like that. <laughs> so before we just finish off with sort of our, our last question around some standout moments on expedition, because quite rightly, as you say, Nat, we've, 
focused on some of the worst case scenarios, but just we've we're yet to capture some probably jaw dropping moments that you could testify to. So we'll, we'll do that. But before we go there, I just quite like to go to kit husbandry and just how important it is to take care of your kit, but also know your kit inside out, back to front. I think kit, kit husbandry is a really important is really important. Um, it, I do try to repot my bag and know where things in my bag are, but um, I, I do think it can go too far sometimes, and that you don't everything doesn't have to have its specific place. And just because you put that there doesn't mean it has to stay there. Um, I found sometimes that actually I don't want to pull my first aid kit right at the bottom of my bag because I know I'm going to need the, the the tape, the zinc oxide tape a lot so that goes in a little bag on the top of my rucksack where I can just pull it out um all right you know so it's about what works for you and I think people you know get a Gucci med kit and they're like oh right everything has its place fantastic well okay but what are you using a lot of what you're not using so much of do you actually need that um I suppose, I suppose that in itself is good <laughs> um but yeah it doesn't have to be to do to any hard and fast rules it's about what works and what works in one place in one trip or one day might not work on the next day um because of the weather or because of what's happening if you've got a radio in a certain place on a nice nice day that's great but if it's cold and wet the next day you might have to have it in your pocket so it stays dry and warm um all those little things uh and it doesn't have to just be med kit it's you know again where where is your waterproofs are you wearing uh really thick layers all the time and you know, are you getting too hot and then your layers getting cold and wet when you're stopping how are you managing that that aspect of it as well um yeah and where's where's that bag of sweets because often it's just like people need to sit down and have a bit of a a bit of a laugh and a joke and it's all good uh yeah and to you Nat um for kit husbandry I think Jamie's covered it all the one thing I'd say he's James mentioned uh, in an earlier part about um, when you get into your tent and you sort your kit out so uh, it's yeah really important everything is on your bag but then having that discipline you're the medic you're going to get called upon again so as soon as you get into your tent the first thing you do is make sure your kit that's worked is going to get dried up you hang everything up you sort your kit out um, so in the military we say like weapon first and then yourself um, but uh, uh, um, it should be your kit sorted out first then you start feeding yourself and then you start sleeping um, so definitely have that discipline when you get in the tent, the last thing you want to do, but it just makes life a lot easier. And I think further to that is I have your wet kit that you're out in and that stays wet and you can get wet in again, but you've always got a dry set of kit and you, you know that you can get back in the tent and whatever day you've had, whatever that's going on, uh, you've got somewhere dry and warm to be and be disciplined about that. I don't think there's any emergency where you, you're going to have to dash off where it isn't a second you can take just to put your wet kit on or waterproofs on or whatever and then still have that for later. It's all well and good being a hero, but 12 hours later after everything's said and done, you get back into your sleeping bag and all of your kit's wet. You know, you're going to have however long left on the trip to, to be in that really rubbish place and, you know, in the jungle and stuff. And then certainly in Norway and certainly in Scotland, there might not be an opportunity to get dry again. So that's fantastic. And that really captures everything um, that needs to be said around husbandry, actually. So, yeah, we've, we've spoken maybe for around 45 minutes around when things go wrong or the different pitfalls. But maybe first to you, Nat, could you just speak to some of just the standout moments for you, just with the, the moments which you think this is actually all worth it? So there's two. One is like the most spectacular sunsets or the most amazing night sky, like that, that kind of 
part of nature you know Jamie and I both said one of the things we love is just being outdoors and it's those moments that you wouldn't get if you were back at home sitting in a house but the other one is um when you see the growth of other people uh and somebody that you thought we've all turned to the airport and been like oh gosh that person's going to be a nightmare um or whatever um and you see um that person really develop and grow like I saw someone we we're about to go on an expedition and they had like everything attached to the outside of their bag um like the cup that like just spare stuff I was like oh god this is gonna be awful um and like take them aside and you do a few little like tips and help along the way and then by the end this person had the most immaculately packed bag knew where everything was and everything was inside the bag rather than outside the bag and you think that person's gonna like really go on to develop loads more cool and to you jamie anything that that you've got standout moments that you can really uh, recall uh <laughs> nothing, as, nothing as profound as that um i don't know there's been you know again like that says the nature is just awesome i've been stood in you know the north of norway with a sky full of stars and the northern lights and just you know you don't even feel cold anymore because it's just absolutely mind-blowingly breathtaking and certainly you've come to the end of expeditions and been st stood on the end of the sea ice um you know with like walruses playing in the water in, in like you're in that attenborough documentary you're standing there and you just think this is unreal i think i don't know i think one of the coolest moments was maybe uh, we went to Svalbard on a little trip. It was just a little personal trip, me and a friend and a kind of mutual friend who was guiding us and stuff. So it was all about kind of developing ourselves, developing my own skills, etc. Um, and just having a cool, cool time to be honest. And we got we got uh, a little kind of boat with a few tourists to go and drop us off at the end of a glacier on a little bit of sea ice. And um, so we kind of pulled pulled up to this the end of the sea ice and then they smashed the boat off the end of the, the, the sea ice. And I, we kind of I said, I said to Casper, who's the guide, I was like, oh, so this is a, must be an icebreaker. He was like, no. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. And that was cool. And then, um, so there was, we were kind of decanting everything. And there was a few kind of tourists kind of taking photographs of the wildlife and of us and stuff. And I was like, I just had this moment where I was like stepping on the sea ice. And one of the tourists kind of said to me, oh, do you think that sea ice would be all right for you to stand on? And I just kind of said to him, like, we've just smashed this massive boat off it. So I hope so. And like stand on the sea ice and you get the husky off the boat and, you know, you've got your kit and things. And you think, I'm really living my dream here. Um, this is exactly who I wanted to be when I was six years old and reading all those kind of stories and things like that. Um, and kind of personally, I, I don't really, I don't really, I don't know. I don't, uh, I try not to be super proud of myself and things like that. There's always more to learn. I'm always kind of uh, reflecting on things, but there was just one of those moments where you're standing there going, I'm doing exactly what I set out to do. And I'm really, this is going to be amazing. And just get being excited about what you're doing. I think that's what we all do it for, isn't it? Like nobody's forcing you to go and do this stuff. Um, no one's ever forced me to go on a, a cold expedition. I don't think you'd have to. But uh, yeah, I think there's something to be said, like, why are you doing this? Uh, and just having that mindful moment where you realize, like, this is exactly what I want to do. And this is why I'm doing it. And I'm here doing it and really enjoying the experience. I like re releasing that inner child and just being able to be like, <laughs> yeah, I start giggling uncontrollably when I'm right that in that moment. I did it a couple of weeks ago in the lakes. So it was hilarious, but yeah, definitely. In moments like that, it doesn't matter how difficult it gets. It, it just pales, pales in, into insignificance compared to the beauty, which is, which is, which is all around. So, um, yeah, no, that's absolutely fantastic. Well, guys, listen, that just leaves me to say thank you, actually, for 
for your time and your perspectives as we um, as we draw to a close. And I'll put the links in the show notes for everything we've mentioned, uh, for WEM, World Extreme Medicine, for the Iceman Challenge, actually, uh, or the retrospective Iceman Challenge. Interestingly, is that still running? Is that still a thing? Is there still a 2022 or...? I think so. Uh, I think there was a there was a, a couple run after after us for sure. Um, I think there'll definitely be something like that running in the the strange new world when that all opens up again. Um, but yeah, the, the the Paul, the guy who runs it, is is the man. If anyone wants to go Greenland, he's the man for that. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely link you to that. Fantastic. And we'll put some more links in the show notes uh, for both indemnity advice and also for uh, for opportunities uh, that you can that you can take as a as a clinician. So thanks, guys. Thanks for your time and your perspectives. It's been uh, it's been fantastic. You're listening to the Pre Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network. 